invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. It's on page 924 in the Pew Bible. Colossians chapter 1. Proverbs 16, 3 says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Uh, Verse 9 of that same chapter says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So if you take those two verses together, uh, their combination elicits a wonderful truth. uh, That if we commit to the Lord everything that we do, we can be sure that the outcome will be successful even if God ends up altering our plans in the process. As many of you know, uh, Brother Bob Lelio was scheduled to uh, preach today on the fruit of the Spirit, Uh, but we're going to postpone him one Sunday because Bob uh, fell sick this past week, and so um, you get to hear me again. (laughs) So uh, if you were anticipating a break, I'm sorry. But um, uh, we will have Bob preach on the fruit of the Spirit uh, next Lord's Day. And I started thinking, you know, if we believe that God is really in control of all things and that God, in fact, works all things together for the good of those who love him, then we can even see a sudden change in plans as an adventure, right? We can can be looking for the Lord to do wonderful things among us as he takes us on a divine detour. And that's certainly my prayer today as we uh, take a break from 1 Timothy and as we postpone a message on the fruit of the Spirit in order to look at a prayer in Colossians chapter 1. I believe that this can be a great message for us as we conclude our time of worship together as a church family in 2023. Um, My hope is that this message will ignite uh, a time of praise and thanksgiving among us as in just a few moments, probably another 20 minutes or so, uh, we'll open up uh, the auditorium here for a time of personal testimonies, which is something that we rarely actually do here. Um, I was telling someone the other night uh, my plan for Sunday once we heard that, that Bob wasn't going to be able to be here, and, and I said, so I want to allow time for testimonies at the end, so I'm, I'm really going to keep my sermon to 20 minutes. And he just looked at me and nodded and said, yeah, sure you will. So we'll see if it works out that way, um, but uh, I trust that this message will be an encouragement to you. Uh, Colossians 1, 9-14, in these verses we see a wonderful prayer for the people of God. Uh, our focus today is going to be on verses 9-14, to 14, but to help us get the context, I'm going to start reading at the very start of the letter, beginning in verse 1. Colossians 1, I'll be reading verses 1-14 to 14 and invite you to follow along. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ Jesus at Colossae, grace to you in peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow, our beloved fellow servant, 
He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Uh, Paul wrote this letter from prison. Uh, being persecuted for preaching the gospel that he actually celebrates in this letter to the church at Colossae. Uh, Paul could have been executed at any moment, and yet we find that he is first and foremost concerned not about himself, but about the church. In another one of his prison letters, the book of Philippians, Paul wrote this, and these words might be familiar to you. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Later on in that same letter, he, he said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation because I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul is content in any situation in which he finds himself, even in prison, even if he's on death row, because Jesus Christ is his sufficiency. If Paul has Jesus, Paul has everything that he needs for this life until the Lord calls him home. So Paul here is not unduly concerned about himself. His primary concern is for the church. He's writing this letter to them, specifically the church at Colossae, because they were losing their grasp of Jesus' sufficiency. False teachers had come into the church and had told them, if you really want to be fulfilled in Christ, if you want to enjoy the full spectrum of God's blessings, then you need to add certain rules to your Christian life. Do's and don'ts that were made up by men. Uh, you need to add certain re uh, religious rituals. You need to go through certain uh, Jewish ceremonial things. Uh, you need to have some sort of a mystical experience where you really connect with God. And they were introducing all these things in addition to the gospel, saying that if you want to be truly fulfilled, it's Jesus plus these extras. And Paul writes this entire letter to celebrate the supremacy of Christ and to tell the Colossians, no, Christ is enough. That gospel that you embrace, that gospel that you believe, the Christ of that gospel is everything that you need. You need to get back to the truth that you embrace and recognize the wonderful gift you have in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing to confront some of the false teachings that had infiltrated the church, but he's writing also to encourage the congregation. He, he's not beating up on them. He's admonishing them at parts in the letter, but he wants to encourage the body of Christ by reminding them of the supremacy of the Savior they have come to embrace. And their lives should reflect that reality. And I, that is the lesson I believe that God has for us today as we draw 
2023 to a close and get ready to launch into another year. It'd be very easy for us to think even with this concept of New Year's resolutions, which isn't necessarily a bad thing to say, I'll be truly fulfilled in life if only I do this, or if only I accomplish this, or if only we can realize this. Whatever the case may be, and so I want to set before you from the Word of God a word of encouragement from the book of Colossians that if you are in Christ, you are complete in Him. And there are some practical instructions Paul gives us here that really are centered on a prayer for the people of God, a prayer that we ought to pray for one another. This is a passage that I incorporate into my own prayers for you as a congregation. So I believe the central truth here, simply stated, would be pray that God's people would walk worthy of the Lord. Pray that God's people would walk worthy of the Lord. If there's one prayer that you could pray for the people of God this year, especially our church family here at Webster Bible Church, I believe this would be the prayer. Pray that God's people, pray that I, pray that you would walk worthy of the Lord. Such a walk entails several things which result from God's saving work in the lives of his people. Those who have embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior. Those who believe that he died on the cross for their sins and rose again so that they could be justified before God. And they're putting all their trust in Christ and in him alone to be saved from their sins and to be granted the gift of eternal life. This kind of life, this fulfilled life in Christ comes from the power of the gospel. And it is cultivated by praying for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we consider this prayer for God's people, I want you to see straight from the text this morning, Paul's reason for praying, the specific request he utters before the Lord on behalf of his people, and then what resulted from that prayer, which makes up the bulk of the text. First of all, consider the reason for Paul's prayer. We see this in verse 9, and it's, it's made most clear in the New King James translation, which says, For this reason... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Since the day Paul heard what? Since the day Paul heard the good report from Epaphras about their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for all of God's people because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. In other words, Paul was, was praying in response to the work of the gospel that had been witnessed in the lives of this congregation. These were proofs of their salvation because these are things that only the Spirit of God can produce in those who have believed in Christ. Notice also in verse 9, Paul says, for this reason, the work of the gospel in their lives, we also pray for you. The indication being that this church had been praying for Paul. We also are praying for you implies that they had been praying for Paul. Here's something worth noting, and maybe you've experienced this yourself. People are more inclined to pray for you when they know you're praying for them. Someone told me just before the service about a family member of mine said, we pray for him every day. What an encouragement that is. When we know that people are praying for us, we're more inclined to pray for them because we see the gospel at work in their lives 
And we know that the love of Christ is evident by their prayers for us. That is a catalyst to mutual prayer for one another as the body of Christ. And so Paul prays for this reason. Now let's look at their request itself. After sharing the reason for praying in verse 9, Paul expresses his actual request in the second half of verse 9. He says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The word ask there translates the Greek word iteo, which signifies a request for something to be given, not done necessarily. And the emphasis is on the thing being asked for rather than the recipient of the request. Think of a shopping at Christmas. You're thinking, we just got done with all that. I don't want to talk about shopping, all right? But just for the sake of illustration, uh, when it came time to do some of your Christmas shopping, maybe you were getting stocking stuffers for someone or one particular gift, and, and you had this person in mind when you went to the store. But once you were in the store and you knew what item or items you wanted for the person, even though that person was still on your mind, in the store you were preoccupied primarily with finding the thing for that person. And that's how it worked in Paul's prayer for the Colossians. He had the Colossians in mind, yes. But Paul's primary focus wasn't on the people per se, as it was on what he wanted God to provide for them. And what did Paul want God to provide for them? What was his focus? That God would fill them with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The word knowledge there translates the, the normal Greek word for knowledge, gnosis. But on the front of it is a prefix, epi, which intensifies the meaning. And the idea is that I want you to have real knowledge. I want you to have full knowledge. I want you to have a deep and abiding knowledge of God in your life. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to have a deep, thorough, ongoing knowledge of God's will and how it applies in any given situation in your everyday life. Wouldn't that be a great way to live? That no matter what we face on any given day, we would know exactly what God would have us to do because we know how to apply that. We know His Word so well and we are so under the influence of the Holy Spirit who brings that word to mind that we can bring it to bear upon any situation we face. Whether the word of God speaks to that situation specifically or if there are general biblical principles that we have accumulated over time and we understand how the combination, the, the counsel of those principles can, can lead us to a right and wise decision. It requires having a God mindset. It's being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That is a God mindset. So go through a quick exercise with me for just a moment. I want you, right where you're seated, to look around and try to find five things that are blue. If you're colorblind, you're excused. Just look around where you're seated and try to find five things that are blue. Could have been a person's shirt, a blouse, shoes, something, you know, a pen, maybe something up here on the platform. 
right? Just find something that's blue where you're seated. You may not have even noticed that beforehand, uh, that it was blue because blue wasn't on your mind. But once you have a blue mindset, you start noticing things that are blue. Um, Have you ever noticed when you've maybe bought a car, uh, all of a sudden you're driving and you see that make and model everywhere? It's like it just kind of came out of nowhere. It's like they were always around, but you weren't thinking about it. But now that you've bought a particular make and model, it's even subconsciously on your mind. I was sharing these illustrations with my wife last night. She goes, oh, it's like when you're pregnant. And I'm like, I've never been pregnant. But (laughs) she said, when a woman's pregnant, you notice how many other women are pregnant around you. Um, I'll take her word for it. Um, But whether we're aware of these things because we're consciously thinking about them or even subconsciously, the idea is that we, people tend to find whatever's in their mind. What kind of mindset we have, we end up seeing things around us accordingly, sometimes even subconsciously. And the same is true when we have a God mindset. When we are so filled with the knowledge of His will according to His word, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, we cannot walk into any situation where we don't see God as being part of it. It can be an opportunity that God has given us. It can be um, a challenge of our faith. It can be a test of faith. It can be facing a certain temptation. Um, uh, We see these opportunities, the temptations, the trials, the, the challenges before us. God is brought into the equation, so to speak, or we see God in the equation. And we wonder how his word would cause us to address this thing that God has brought before us. This is how Paul prayed for his fellow believers that they would have this kind of a God mindset. Well, what's the result? We've looked at his reason for praying, uh, the specific request he asked for that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But what's the result of this? This specific request that has certain results. Well, the overarching result, if you look at the text, Paul says is that the Colossians would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's the overarching result. That We could say that is like the one result. Uh, what is the result of being filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, knowing how to rightly apply God's word to your life in any given situation? You walk worthy of the Lord. The word walk is used throughout Scripture to refer to a person's pattern of conduct, their lifestyle, the things that they do day in and day out. Paul says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The Greek word for worthy, axios, in this grammatical construction actually means to weigh as much as something else. So when Paul says, I want you to walk around praying so that you will walk worthy of the Lord, he's saying, I want the pattern of your life to reflect the greatness of who Jesus is. I want the pattern of your life to express to others how much Jesus means to you. That word glory has the sense of weight to it. How much does Jesus matter to you? Let that be reflected in your lifestyle. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Show how great he is. Show others how much he means to us. Say, well, how do I know if I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? Like, what's the evidence of that? Well, Paul goes on to give us five characteristics of this walk. 
in the verses that follow. And I'll just go through these quickly. Number one, it is a pleasing walk. A God-pleasing walk. Verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Uh, The New American Standard Version says, pleasing Him in all respects. So it's not talking about perfection so much, even though that would be our goal to be as Christ. But the idea is that in, in every sphere of my life, in every situation I face in every sphere of my life, I am making it my aim to please God. And that's what Paul actually says in another passage, right? Second Corinthians chapter 10, he tells fellow believers, he reminds them, we make it our aim to please him. Every sphere of my life, every situation. So this would apply to my private thought life, to my home life, the way I treat my spouse, my children, my roommates. It refers to my work life, how I behave in front of my coworkers. My school life, how do I behave in, in front of my fellow classmates. My social life, which includes social media, the things that I'm commenting on online, pictures or whatever that I'm posting online, how I'm engaging with others out in public. Every sphere of my life, I make it my aim to please God. That's our goal. And we get there by applying Scripture to every sphere of our life, every situation we face in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a pleasing life. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all respects. Secondly, it's a productive walk. It's a pleasing walk, but it's also a productive walk. Again, verse 10, walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, next Lord's Day, Brother Bob Lelio, one of our fellow elders, is going to be preaching on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. So we'll take a whole sermon for that. So I'm not going to steal his thunder today. But recognize those qualities uh, in Galatians 5 are the fruit of the Spirit. But Scripture also refers, when it talks about bearing fruit in every good work, uh, things that the Spirit also produces in addition to those qualities in Galatians 5, new converts are referred to as uh, fruit. In one passage, Paul refers to new Christians as the first, the first fruits of Achaia, where the gospel was bearing fruit and growing all over the world. New believers are referred to as fruits of the gospel. So whether we lead someone to Christ directly or indirectly, right? But Paul in another passage says, I planted, Apollos watered, and who gave the increase? God did. Okay, so, so whether I'm involved in directly leading a person to Christ or uh, through the influence of my prayers or, you know, a personal comment to them here or there, uh, words of encouragement, however that came about, whether I directly or indirectly was involved, that person's coming to faith is a part of my bearing fruit, the Holy Spirit bearing fruit through my life to God's glory. Hebrews thirteen fifteen identifies praising God as fruit. Listen to this. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Through Jesus then, let us continually offer up praise to God the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. So in a moment, you'll have an opportunity to do that. We testify of our praise to God through singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, as we talk of the Lord with one another, as we testify of God's greatness and of His goodness in our lives. You'll have a moment to do that in just a few minutes. As we walk worthy of the Lord, 
pleasing him in all respects, his spirit will produce fruit in our lives for God's glory. So it is a pleasing walk. It is a productive walk. Thirdly, it is a progressive walk. A Christian who walks worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, will also be increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what Paul says here. He'll be increasing in the knowledge of God. This clause at the end of verse 10 can also be translated as growing by the knowledge of God. So you can be increasing in knowledge, or you can be growing as a Christian by this knowledge. Both are true. Uh, The Apostle Peter writes in chapter 2 of his first epistle, as newborn infants desire the pure milk of God's word that you may grow with respect to your salvation. How do we feed on God's word? How do we drink it in? We do it by reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, studying it, talking about it, discussing it with others, sharing it with others, paying attention every time it is preached, and applying it to our lives. The more we know, the more we grow. That's the principle here. You want to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord? you will seek to please the Lord in all that you do. Your life by the Spirit of God will produce fruit for God's glory. Uh, You will continue to progress in the Christian faith. It's a progressive walk. Number four, it's a powerful walk. Verse 11, Paul says, you'll be strengthened with all power according to His, meaning God's glorious might. That word might is the Greek word kratos, which means strength in action. And the word strengthened, earlier in verse 11 there, strengthened with all power, appears in the present tense, which indicates continuous action. So the idea is this. The power by which you are strengthened is God's power, not yours. And it's not an occasional power boost that God gives you. Uh, this This is a continual, constant current of supernatural power flowing to you and through you as you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. An old hymn came to mind as I thought about this. Uh, Some of you may know it, probably many of you don't, called Channels Only. I still sing it quite a bit myself in, in my times of private worship. The hymn writer says, Channels only, blessed Master, but with all thy wondrous power flowing through us, thou canst use us every day in every hour. Do you see yourself as a conduit of God's powerful grace in the lives of other people? As you surrender your heart to Him, you will have a constant connection. If you are looking to please God in every sphere of your life, every situation you face, relying on Him, His strength rather than your own, you will constantly have a current of God's supernatural power flowing to you and through you to the lives of other people. Furthermore, God gives us His power, it says in verse 11, for all endurance and patience with joy. Endurance refers to the trials of life. Patience has to do with people in life. So no matter what circumstances you're going through or what sort of people you have to put up with, God will give you all the power you need to keep on doing what's right and not only do what's right, but do it joyfully. Because you're drawing on God's power, not your own. 
During the Tournament of Roses parade on New Year's Day in 1939, a beautiful float suddenly sputtered and quit right in the middle of the parade. Come to find that it was out of gas. The whole parade got held up until someone had to go get a can of gas, bring it back, fill up the float at least minimally so we could get going again. Now, ironically, the theme of the parade, which occurred just eight months before the outbreak of World War II, was be prepared. And even more ironically, the float that broke down was the Standard Oil Company. (laughs) True story. In fact, I got this from J. Vernon McGee, who was actually uh, an eyewitness of what happened. The float broke down right in front of him. He was a pastor in L.A., also a Bible Bible radio uh, teacher. And this float broke down right in front of him. And and he actually laughed because he says, I thought to myself, if there was one float that should not have run out of gas, it was that one. And as I looked at the float, I saw a picture of many Christians today. They look beautiful, but they lack power. The reason we lack power to deal rightly with the people and the problems in our life is not because the resources aren't there. It's because we're tapping into the wrong resources, usually ourself or what other people provide in a worldly sense, rather than the resources we have in Christ. The resources that God has already provided for us through the gospel, His Word, prayer, Christian fellowship. As believers, we have all the power of God at our disposal. The Bible says that the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that is at work in the life of every believer. Do you know what? I can have all the power in my home, but if I don't plug in a lamp, it ain't going to turn on, right? So if we want to draw upon God's power, we have to be plugged into the Word. We have to be plugged into prayer. We need to be plugged into the people of God by a faithful commitment to the local church. And then this can be our experience too. Paul said in his prison epistle to the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that ought to be our experience. So it is a, the kind of walk, walking worthy of the Lord. It's a, it's a pleasing walk. It's a productive walk. It's a progressive walk. It is a powerful walk. Fifthly and finally, it is a praise-filled walk. As we walk worthy of the Lord, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, we will be, and this is the New Living Translation, we will be always thanking the Father. He has enabled us to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Amen. Isn't that a glorious reality? When's the last time you dwelt on what it meant to be forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future, to be fully accepted in the beloved, where God in love took you out of the kingdom of darkness and placed you into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You are complete in Him. You are completely forgiven in Him. You have complete power in Him. Your future is secure because of Him. George Herbert prayed, O thou who has given us so much, mercifully grant us one more thing, 
a grateful heart. In a moment, you'll have an opportunity to praise, thank God, even this morning in this assembly by sharing a brief word of testimony. But whether or not you share publicly today, my challenge to you, I believe God's challenge to us, is to cultivate a heart of gratitude and thankfulness to the God who has done so much for us. Paul's prayer for the Colossians is a good place to start. It is a good prayer for the people of God. The reason we should pray for one another is rooted in the gospel and what God, through the gospel of His grace, has accomplished in our lives. Our request should be that each one of us be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, with the result being that we will walk worthy of the Lord. It's a pleasing walk, a productive walk, a progressive walk, a powerful walk, and a praise-filled walk. May such a walk characterize our faith journey in 2024. Let's pray. Father, as we now go to this time of personal testimony, I pray that we would be further encouraged as people testify of your grace and goodness in their life this past year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.